Optimism Vaccine. I'm Steve. Joining us once again, he's back, Sean Glennis. How's it going, Steve? It's going great, man. How's the uh, the busted up ankle? Can't get around much. Oh, it's it's good. I'm just trying to put it aside and celebrate Labor Day. Well, listen, I think it's great that your ankle's smashed to bits because this allows for two things. One, we can put you to work in the Optimism Vaccine content mines. And I can't leave my house. Yeah, so you can't leave your house. you call me up, you're just like, get on the microphone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you have to do it. There's, no, there's you know, nothing to do. We just strap you down and what the fuck are you going to do? So It's like that movie Room, but with a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's an angle they should have explored in that one. It probably would have been a little more compelling for me. Yeah. Uh, but... Yeah, it's also great, too, because I think this is probably the first time in, uh, I don't know, maybe like 20 years of my life that I could definitively beat you in a game of one-on-one basketball. (laughs) That's true. I probably still couldn't. Uh, (laughs) The problem is that due to his crippling ankle pain, Sean's unfortunately developed a uh, rohypnol dependency for sleep. (laughs) That's the the only way to go. I I wish you could get sweet drugs like that just for sleep aids. (laughs) Uh, the other thing is that my I, I've been hopping around on my left foot, which, as you know, is my uh, jumping off foot. So when I'm back, mm. going to be dunking probably. I mean that that makes the most sense. I think so. Could you can you dunk a tennis ball or like a volleyball or anything or like what, what's your, what's your vertical look like these days? I could probably dunk a, a tennis ball like once, once or twice. Like I, I'm getting too old to the point where like I can't really consistently keep jumping at the same height yeah that makes sense i i gave up my my dunking dreams uh this is actually back when i worked at the boys and girls club of america john which uh uh you know that, that was back when we were in college and there's this little kid and he asked me if i could dunk a basketball mm-hmm. and i said no but i think i can dunk a volleyball and <laughs> uh so i i i tried and at this point in my life, I wasn't the, the, you know, giant, lazy slob with a deteriorating body that I am now. But, but you're still like five foot ten. <laughs> this is true. This is true. But I, I had a decent vertical. And I used to be able to, in high school, I could dunk a volleyball. And I, I used to be able to dunk a tennis ball pretty easily. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this shit. Muggsy bogues it. Let's go. <laughs> And, and plus, I mean, when, when a little like four-year-old child asks you to do something, you know, big eyes, he's like, oh, can you do this, Mr. Steve? You're like, fuck yeah, I can do it. So I went up and I went to dunk the, the volleyball and I just, I caught my wrist on the rim and it flung like all my momentum like forward. <laughs> so I basically went like, I just went vertical or uh, horizontal, just like flat backed oh, and God. cracked the back of my head directly on the floor, knocked myself out completely. And then just woke up to that same small child standing over me, asking me if I was dead and crying. So, uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't think I can dunk anymore. But once upon a time, almost. <laughs> <laughs> My hoop dreams died pretty young. Anyways, Sean, you're back because uh, we're talking about your boy Claude Chabrol again, aren't we? That's right. Called in the big guns to talk about uh, Monsieur Chabrol. Um, 
So I picked a few, picked a few more. Hopefully this isn't the last Chabral episode. We'll see. Um, well, but, the, the hits keep coming, man. Every well, that's time you thing. want to do one of these, they're all great. That's the thing. So yeah, I, I chose uh, three more and did like a, a mix of uh, his like prime period, which is 68 to 71. And, um, and one from his uh, later period, uh, this time uh, from 2000. And because, um, I mean, he has like, it, it seems like uh, the popular stuff is that is the 60s and early 70s. And then like nobody cares about the 80s and uh, some of the 90s stuff. Um, but like the eighties and the late seventies, like just nobody gives a shit about. And then, um, besides like the hardcore brawl heads, but, um, and then like he starts to peak again with 95, uh, ceremony, which we talked about. And then like he has hits, you know, at least like critical, uh, uh, movies that, that people really like and have seen, um, in the two thousands. Um, so I tried to get something from that period. He seems to have this like this renaissance but um uh at least uh you know those are the ones that got distribution and that people saw um but i tried so so we chose or i, I chose uh 1968's uh les species bad girls as it's translated um 1969's the unfaithful wife and uh, 2000's nightcap and um it was it was between Nightcap and uh, Torment, which uh, is from '94, right when he was like coming back. But mm-hmm. um, as I watched Torment, which I think is maybe a little bit better than Nightcap, it's like basically the exact same thing as The Unfaithful Wife, but with like a slight <laughs> a slight change. Like I mean, an important change, but like the the majority of runtime between the two films is like the same exact thing which is this husband worrying about his husband or his being a cuckold and um so i kind of wanted to get something completely different which i think nightcap which is a is a weird translation of uh thank you for the chocolate um <laughs> I, I think <laughs> it, it was us... a tough year to have chocolate yeah, yeah. in your in your movie in your film's title you know there's a lot of chocolates that were going around in 2000 so was uh, it you know. what, was it the same year as as the the lassie hallstrom remake I believe so. Don't don't quote me on it, but okay. if if I were a betting man, Myros, can you confirm via IMDb whether I'm full of shit or not? I'm pretty sure Chocolat was 2000. It's the year 2000, baby. Look Interesting. At Look at that. Um, well, anyway, uh, I think that 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 nightcap gives us something different, um, and also has uh, Hooper in a primary role, which last episode she was just in a secondary role, but um, she is definitely a big part of his. Uh, of his uh filmmaking career like from 78 on mm-hmm. i uh I, I like the ones that you chose for this episode because and, and i mentioned this kind of off air but it, it was interesting the way that they sort of echo our first episode so the the common theme i'm seeing here is uh it, it's almost like the the first movie we're going to talk about uh les biches or uh you know less bitches mm-hmm. uh it it's almost like it, it could at any moment take a swerve into pure Euro sleaze and it just kind of dips its toes in and then brings it back out into something a lot more compelling. And then 
Uh, the second film, The Unfaithful Wife, is hilarious to me because I, I feel like it, it almost exists in the same universe as Just Before Nightfall. I like to think that this oh, one yeah. happened first and then Just Before Nightfall happened afterwards. Uh, I don't it, know. Would she be... Uh... Would she be that uh, interested in defending her husband uh, in just before nightfall if this was first? Probably not. Right. Well, it's, it's funny like, because that's, that's all he's into. <laughs> there's a there's there's another one in I think it was '73 called Wedding in Blood that uh, also has um, Stephanie Audron, um, the uh, you know his his main uh, actress who was also Chabral's wife for a period, um, and she's like having an affair with this guy and her husband finds out and it's just like in my mind the unfaithful wife and wedding in blood were just like because i i watched them like pretty close together and this was like a week or, or two back now and i was just like in preparation for this trying to i was reading about unfaithful wife just to like untangle them in my mind because like especially when it gets so period like like uh similar uh, the, the colors look similar and, and he's always going to like different vias and, uh, you know, a countryside locations and it's just all, uh, dealing with the same themes that it just tangles up. What is going on in France, by the way, where, where all like the critiques are like, well, Chabral's too interested in the middle class. I'm like the middle class, yeah. <laughs> these fuckers all have like giant goddamn mansions. Chateaus. Like, yeah, is, is this the middle class in France? Got to get over there. Well, I think a lot of the criticism he faced back when these movies came out are it's I I do not understand it at all. Sean, you you posted that I think it was like an interview excerpt with um mm, mm -hmm. oh, who was it? Uh, I don't remember who the interviewer was, but he was he was asking him about it was in Sight and Sound, and he was asking him mm. about Bassbender. Uh, uh, Rainier Werner Fassbender's uh, sight and sound takedown of Chabral. Yeah. Which is hilarious because Fassbender's criticism basically was just like, oh, he's a fascist for undefined reasons. And also, uh, he none of these people are characters. They're just shadows. And <laughs> I, I don't, I mean, I love Fassbender too, but I, yeah. Like, what? like just Fassbender's characters are sweatier. I don't, is that what makes a person <laughs> instead of a yeah, shadow? Yeah. I don't, I don't think Fassbender was like the most uh, uh, coherent <laughs> human. No, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, Chabral is reading interviews with him. He's he's uh, an interesting uh, guy. He just seems so practical and analytical, and um, he, yeah, he, he's interesting. But um, uh, Bad Girls, this nineteen sixty eight film, is. Um, is apparently like the period when it was like his first film of like kind of like freedom after uh he had some some early films that were like successful and then kind of basically had to work for like producers for a while and and did a handful of films in the 60s and then finally like based off of success he was having uh with bad girls they were just like you can kind of you can do what you want now so this is kind of mm -hmm. this is a period of like opening up for him which it's unsurprising that for the next three years he made six films that are like the the critical fillet of, of his career. Um, given that, but uh, it's um, I I love this this film. Like it, it, I was expecting to like it, and um, especially after the prologue, which this film is broken into four chapters, and the prologue is like a very very spicy, uh, 
section of the film that that ends with a, an unbuttoning of the pants that I don't think I'll ever forget. <laughs> uh, well, I uh, Sean is a pervert as well. This world was really doing it for him. Um, I yeah, this is interesting. I, once again, I I find myself going like they they compare this guy to Hitchcock all the time, but I don't really understand well, that yeah. either. It's funny because I, people like in interviews like that gets brought up a lot too, and, and he. He thinks, uh, or he always says, like, with this and uh, Unfaithful Wife, especially, like, the Hitchcock was gone, uh, and it was more of Lang, uh, like Fritz Lang, that he was obsessed with or, like, interested in, and a lot of that. Yeah, his films are so much more languid. <laughs> right, right, and um, which is what Lang was short for, but... Um, yeah. uh, <laughs> But he he talks about it, and, and it's interesting to think about, uh, but he talks about it in terms of, like, Lang also, like, viewed his um characters through a certain objectivity and um and i know that we talked about subjectivity on the last episode and i think that there's and obviously like hitchcock was all about uh subjectivity but usually usually like one care one primary character that was was driving the film but um but i i think something like bad girls is like a perfect example or perfect like yeah example to like discuss this sort of like objectivity and and like interiority because i mean like the the majority of the things that these these three characters it's like a triangle which is what the poster is but um this like kind of love triangle and the majority of what they say is like is subtext or not not subtext but it, it's like it is it's not revealing much right like uh for the majority of the film, we're living within like the the pauses and the stares and trying to figure out what uh, each gesture is doing in terms of power and and sex um, and class between them. Yeah, it, for sure. It's like a it's again, what what are you talking about here? Fassbender, because uh, this is it, it doesn't strike me as a film that is very positive toward wealth and possession and it's it's very interested in how those things sort of change and develop a human in in and not very flattering ways i would suggest <laughs> but uh i think that that is kind of a running theme in his films as to as to what stature in society does to someone and uh warps them fundamentally in many ways and um yeah this this movie to me is is all about the nature of desire and possession <laughs> and how that applies between people, you know, it's, it's quite interesting stuff for sure. First thing that came to mind for me is persona. Honestly. Oh yeah, of course. Which was two years before, uh, for a second, I couldn't remember if persona was 68 and I was like, God, what a crazy double bill that would have been. <laughs> yeah. I'm always coming back to Bergman with Chabral. I, I, interesting. interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I was just gonna say I love the um, just to kind of like set the table even further. I just love the uh, so like you know in this prologue, uh, uh, Audrin, the like uh, wealthy uh, uh, woman who owns this like via, um, she picks up this street artist, this younger woman, um, and who like draws does on the the street uh, and like gives her money and basically like pays for her to like come 
to her house and then goes to her via to like to live with them whatever for a bit and uh so there's immediately this this like um there's there's this class difference obviously but it's more than that there's like a power and and there's sort of like she this younger woman is at the behest of the of the older woman and so that's that's obviously playing throughout but also i love like movies which Chabral likes to do uh and we'll talk about it in the unfaithful wife as well but this play between uh city and uh countryside um as these like you know these uh diametric opposites and and these places where different things can happen and uh just taking this this young woman out of this parisian woman like out of that uh atmosphere and taking her into this like really wealthy like place uh or at least like a place of of a building of wealth and surrounded by other people that seemingly have like means um i don't know there, there's just like fun uh holes that this movie keeps bouncing around and that that just like makes the tension and and the, that sort of like interior um uh tennis game of power and sex and and uh passion just like so fun to me mhm and i th- i think it's also important to point out too that uh there's a lot of passion and uh, a lot lot of horniness if you will in this movie but it's totally sexless in terms of like actually showing the act yeah uh, and and there's this all this sexual tension between uh both the the woman leads and then later with the uh the man who steps in to create the love triangle yeah <laughs> and it's uh, it's it's even more powerful because you you don't know the exact like sexual dynamic between these two women like they're they're very uh you know flirtatious with each other and there's there's intimacy but it's not you know you're uh, not sure how much respect. sex they've had or or like how intimate they've been mhm uh and to your point too in the in the very beginning when the women first meet uh there's you know one of them's taking a bath and she tells the other to leave but then she doesn't immediately and it's unclear whether she does or not and then you know she comes out of the bath and she's dressed but then you have this uh, this scene where her pants are sort of unbuttoned and, <laughs> but it it all, it all quick cuts away from this. So we yeah. don't know, you know, the extent of what's going on. Uh, and it, and it just kind of adds that extra air of, of, of mystery to the whole thing that helps build the tension. Um, yeah. And then the other thing that's amazing here is God, what Gibral does with his camera is just like, you, you, you want to go to film school, just watching movies. Fucking watch the poker scene from about the halfway oh, point yeah. of this movie. It is incredible. And I think the number one thing you could tell a, a young filmmaker is, you know, shut the fuck up and use your camera to tell a story. And God, what Chabral does to play around with the, you know, the sexual tension and the power dynamics and everything mm-hmm. that's going on in this, po- in this poker game, it is phenomenal like this is the best like five minutes of cinema you can watch in your life it is just incredible shit the blocking of it is just so good and the perspectives multiple perspectives being drawn out um yeah i can't wait to see like a an hd uh like restoration of this because that that scene is just so cool and this rip is like really shitty 
<laughs> yeah, I, I could always I could tell, too, because I think when you start this one up, it's got a little bit of the jitters that I was like, oh, this looks like a DVD sourced from a tape, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Or one Not of those great. just like early, early DVDs. But uh, but yeah. And, and so the, the younger woman is like is starts. She's like she also says she's a virgin, too. Um, and uh, she is like excited to be like romanced by the, the conformist. and. Um, and then so then that kind of gets uh, usurped by by the older woman. But um, the main line of criticism that I've come across on this film is that uh, the conformist Jean-Louis uh, Trintignant, I think it is uh, pronounced, um, but that he is sort of a cipher or like he is sort of like he makes the film like geometric in a way that doesn't feel as organic. Like he's just sort of there to facilitate the triangle and, and the, the shit between the two women, um, which I, I definitely get. Um, but it didn't exactly bother me while watching, but I don't know. What did you guys think? Well, yeah, I, I think he serves as really, to me, he, it's not like he has one of the act chapters. Like he's exactly an ancillary yeah. character. <laughs> you yeah. know, he's, this is not, as much as it plays with the idea of this sort of menage a trois triangle uh, relationship, it's it's not that really ever. There's the, I mean, the character of Y is always on the outside. It seems like, it, and it really the film is about the relationship between Frederick and Y, and yeah, that your conformist there is. He's more, he's a plot device. He's, he's, yeah, he's a sure. tool. Yeah. Right. It's fair to say that he's, he's not characterized as richly, but that, I think that is intentional for sure. Yeah. It's, it's the entire point because he could have been literally anyone. It's the fact yeah. that, you know, he was attractive. And then, uh, why, which by the way, if you're listening to this, the, the younger woman in her name <laughs> is why. So, uh, and yeah, there is a bit, uh, a, a, like a who's on first gag at one point. Mm-hmm. So uh, you get you get your chuckles in, anyways. Uh, uh, yeah, why just happens to be attracted to him? Just ha- like he could have been anyone, and that's the whole point. Because then Frederick comes in, and she she just wants to pursue him to sort of outmaneuver why, and he and he could be anyone. It's just it's like this constant yeah. chess game between the two of them, and he just happens to be in the middle of it. So it is a love triangle, but he's the most inconsequential person. Right. Um, and my uh, biggest criticism, they should have just had a threesome. Come on. Just, you know, get it over with. Just do it. But I like uh, uh Myros, <laughs> like you your articulation of her being always on the outside because it it it's a good way to put the the fact that like she can be brought to this place, um, but she doesn't deserve to be there. She doesn't deserve to have this man. And so Frederic is always kind of like r- reminding her uh that like, yeah, you can you can you can look, but you can't touch. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, there is, there is, to Cuff's point, like, a almost literal scene that is like, mm-hmm. oh, they're, they're about to have a threesome, mm-hmm. and they're, they're getting drunk, it's amazing. and they're just all over each other, and then it just <laughs> ends with them just kind of backing away from her and leaving her just at a distance. Well, that's not, where, that's not where the scene ends. <laughs> well, there, I, I suppose you could call that a different scene, but yeah, yes, yeah, it yeah. does go to a, a different place. <laughs> shortly thereafter incredible but again quite quite literally like this this outsider perspective this someone who is who is backed against a closed door trying to like experience that sensuality 
at a distance. Mm-hmm. Simulating it, yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, I I mean there's there's not enough good things that I can say about this movie. It's really really incredible stuff. And with the last episode of Chabral, I think the thing I kept coming back to is like why why, why can't I access good-looking or readily available versions of any of these movies? And uh I'm going to continue to scream that from the mountaintop cuz holy shit. Well, uh, the next one is another one of those them. where it's just like uh it's incredible and then i I know some people because these arrow boxes have been coming out uh like four or five at a time and and they're putting out them kind of from across the 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 years and uh people don't like the color of them which is uh probably valid um but uh also like try and get some of these ones that like don't have you know that weren't shot in like the 90s or 2000 that like look fine Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it is kind of odd uh, arrows choices for some of these, but that I mean, it could be a rights issue. It could be yeah, a of different course. things. Uh, also, shout out to Jack Eason who uh, <laughs> tried to score one of the arrow box sets and got bamboozled. Uh, he, he saw a hot deal on Amazon. <laughs> yeah, literally the lies and deceit Gibral box set. He buys it for what? Did, what did he spend like forty bucks or something like that? It was it was yeah. like half off. Thought he was getting a hot deal. Uh, turns off it was. It turns out it was so hot that uh, there was no arrow branding on any of the DVD cases, and he opened it up and they were like burned discs with like a piece of paper shoved in there. Uh, really incredible stuff. So uh, yeah, just uh, just a victim of lies and deceit. Um, yeah, I thought that was quite. I, I'm glad that it happened just for our sake. But uh, but yeah. yeah so so um, uh, I want to. Can we move on to the next film? Absolutely, we yeah. can. Yeah, so uh, the the next one is 1969's uh, "The Unfaithful Wife," that has uh, our favorite uh, Michelle Bouquet uh, from uh, just before Nightfall, um, or yeah, just before Nightfall, yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, again, Stephanie Audron. Um, but this is a film that was remade in. Uh, 2004, I believe, by Adrian Lin, um, one of the premier filmmakers of the erotic thriller, um, with uh, uh, Richard Gere and how am I blanking on her name? Oh, is this that uh, Diane Lane movie? Yeah, Diane Lane. Okay. Um, which I think is I I think is a quite quite good uh film on its own, and I didn't know that it was a Chabral remake for a while. Um, but, uh, it was interesting having that movie pretty familiar in my brain while, while watching this. Have you guys seen that one? Is that unfaithful? Yes. Yep. I That's have the one. not seen it actually. I never got around to it for some reason. Poor work you know, thing. I, I've seen it, but I haven't seen it in like the proper way. Like I've seen it like on TNT or something. Oh, no, <laughs> like, you, need to, you need to see the R version. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> Yeah, this uh, is yeah, it's, it's, it's like the kind of movie for it's like erotic nature. I, I don't think cable, basic cable is probably not the way. No, to basic cable not good for eroticism in my experience. So, uh, but yeah, yeah no, that's it's something I definitely. I, I, highly, I had no idea it was a, that was a, a Claude Gibral remake. That that makes yeah perfect it, sense I mean, now. But it, yeah, like I said, it, it's quite good and it's worth watching. But watching the Gibral film, you're you're much more aware of the the 
the things that make Chabral better than most other people dealing with these types of uh, uh, scenarios is just like the various uh, <clears throat> the various things at play, like all the things that we were talking about in Bad Girls with like the different power and class uh, issues and uh, gender issues um, and, or gender dynamics. And they're all here in The Unfaithful Wife, I think. I wonder why they paid uh, Claude Chabral to for like script rights on the on this <laughs> remake because it's I mean it's a very sort of generic setup and uh, right right it's, it's not an erotic film at all so potentially presumably they went in a very different direction for the remake so yeah that is think they'd just be like uh, no there's no connection at all we're not going to pay you anything <laughs> yeah I, I mean it, to your point too Sean it it really does speak to just how powerful of a filmmaker she probably is because on paper half of these movies you're just like oh you know like unfaithful wife it's like oh a man suspects his wife of cheating and confronts the lover like that it's it's the most simple setup how many films have been made yeah. about that exact subject over the course of the last 100 years and the answer is right a million uh, but, but with like, Chabral it's it's all about that subtext and then just uh, the the subtlety in in you know people's movements and his blocking and everything he brings to the table to take a really you know simple story like that and tease it out into something bigger and more profound. And in Adrian Lynn's film, uh, the um, the suitor is uh, like the I think he's like Spanish or something. Uh, he's like extremely attractive, and he lives in this like you know dusty. Uh, loft in New York City that is just like the most gorgeous apartment you could ever uh, dream of being in <laughs> and you watch Chabral's and it's just like this loser this like balding yeah. loser who just has this like shitty apartment and yeah, it's like not even younger either he's just yeah, like the same yeah, age. <laughs> it's, yeah like, it, it's not it's not like yeah Richard Gere and this other guy are like 20 years 30 years apart but uh, the this I mean the whole thing with like Chabral's is like that it, once again, you have the, um, you have to get out of the countryside and get into the city in order to like have this uh, experience that you're not getting in sort of this like idyllic quote unquote idyllic, like bourgeois marriage. Um, and it doesn't really matter who it, it's, it has nothing to do with like her desire for like this guy. It's, it's more, he's more of just like a tool for her, like a, a, a vessel. Exactly. And I, I, I think when they're talking, so when there's the confrontation in the Schlub's apartment and they're, they're talking and going back and forth and he's like, oh yeah, you know, you should really move to the city because, you know, your wife loves Paris and yada, yada, yada. And, you know, he kind of shoots back and it's just like, well, she's the one who wanted to, to live in Versailles. And the idea is, well, she wants both, you know, she, she likes her comfortable life in the country and she loves her son and she can't imagine her life without him, but also she wants this, you know, uh, just, just sexual relationship in the city and having this excitement and, and everything that comes with that. So it, it really is. He's just a tool to scratch that itch for her. And it's, it's not about oh, I don't want to be with my husband anymore. I just want to be with him. And no, that's, that's not it at all. It's, it's about just her wanting everything and then maintaining this icy demeanor and, and being able to sort of deflect any suspicion 
Uh, yeah. Because really, at no point until the cops come around does, does she exhibit any sort of paranoia. And even then, her only sign of weakness is, I, I think we see her like cry for a split second. And, and that's about it. And otherwise, she just kind of maintains the facade perfectly. Yeah, and uh, I mean, the movie's not really about her, her like affair. Which is the flip, no, which is no. the big flip with Adrian Lin's film, um, uh, which is not a bad thing. Um, but it, it's much more about, I mean, M Michelle Bouquet is like such an amazing actor. I mean, they're both great, but he's so great at just like watching the thread come loose and him struggling to have control and also him just realizing that like they have like a good relationship. But like she's not fulfilled sexually and like he can like mm -hmm. he can do everything he like he can give her everything that she wants or everything that she needs um, to a certain extent. But he just can't he, like no amount of like wealth or whatever uh, will be able to like really satisfy somebody's entire needs. And um, not to jump ahead, but uh, the. The end the like last shot of this is like such an amazing shot. It, it reminds me of the end of uh, the butcher. Um, but you like, it's this perfect statement of like, uh, what happens when you finally do get out of your comfort zone or trying to do something with passion for somebody. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. The, I mean, the ending is, it's monumental. Um, and you know, the, the other thing too is, uh, I mean, I, the movie's called The Unfaithful Wife, so you can kind of understand where this one's going. But, uh, the like you said, the the affair doesn't really matter. And when you're watching it, you know, it, uh, Michelle, uh, okay, he he uh, he has his suspicions, but we're not given anything really as as a viewer to to think that oh, she's definitely cheating on. Like, there's nothing there. She's just like, oh, no. yeah, I'm going out. I'm going to get my hair done, whatever. And he's just like, hmm, I wonder. And so then you start to think, okay, well, this maybe it's just about his paranoia or something like that. And then when you get the reveal, it's just like, oh, yeah, she's definitely cheating on him. It, but it doesn't matter. You're just like, oh, okay. And then it just kind of moves forward. So yeah. whether or not the affair is real is sort of irrelevant to the whole emotional arc of, of what the characters are going through. And uh, it, it really is an amazing way to sort of approach this because yeah i mean uh just like in unfaithful the the remake it, normally you would focus on the hot steamy affair and and how they're hiding that from someone else and here it just sort of takes the inverse uh but it's equally as powerful cathartic thing is is the uh the transgression by uh michelle um but yeah, and it's not even so much about him like losing his wife as much as it is like order, right? Like um, mm -hmm. things being out of order. But uh, Myros, what did you think of this one? Yeah, I, that's kind of where I would land on it as well. As it is once again, it's kind of that sort of interpersonal power dynamic that that idea of possession. Like there's, it does very similar things. Like this is a, a very similar movie to. Uh, just before nightfall in many ways I, I i don't like it quite as much probably just due to familiarity like this like that movie kept me off balance the entire time i felt like such a novel approach to the material and and here this 
is doing a lot of the same things in a way that's that's more familiar uh but it is is still doing this this thing where it's it's very dispassionate about an inherently passionate act you know a series of passionate acts you know between the affair and the the murder uh but it, it's it's almost like at every turn these characters and uh, you know people could criticize him for for having sort of overly intellectualized cold characters but really that serves the material in a far more interesting way to my mind but it's it's this way that you almost don't understand how uh michelle bouquet's character is is processing this like he's he's attacking it from a place of almost curiosity and you you're not sure if he is saying to himself well uh does this matter am i are we're still happy what does any of this matter is it a problem or is it just something she needs in her life uh and it's like he's he's approaching it with this sort of cautious curiosity like he wants to learn more there's almost an earnest idea behind his approaching her lover at his apartment you you don't immediately go oh he's here to kill him no it, it actually surprises you as a viewer because you can almost believe exactly the story he's telling this man like oh we have an open marriage and you know i, I just want to meet you and know more about you and understand this scenario and it, it's just like this sort of wave of revulsion that that turns the story and it's yeah, I I just have an immense appreciation for this sort of approach to material that could seem so familiar, frankly. Yeah, may, mm-hmm. maybe maybe uh, if we do a, a volume three, we will have to do um, torment because, like I said, it's basically the same thing, but it's about it. It's like this couple that run this hotel, this like secluded hotel, and it's just the 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 man like driven insane by driving himself insane by like his hot wife like thinking that his hot wife is just like sleeping with everyone and she's not sleeping with anyone <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's it is like just like you you know it's not about finding out anything like you know what's happening but it's just like watching that thread come loose is just like uh it's really fascinating the way he does it and he does it in a way that is just like really hard to describe and it just seems like kind of like seamless and it's just like this camera movement that just makes sense but isn't flashy i mean it's just like and and it is so much about like interior like motives and and like um these sort of like social uh like rules that that like um motivate everyone's you know ideas about life that that he really capitalizes on and that's something that is not very fashionable um which like we were talking about on the first volume of this, um, I'm sure that that plays into it. But um, uh, in in the book I have by Robin Wood and, and Michael Walker, um, I can't remember which one wrote the 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 chapter, but they talk about it. Unfaithful wife is like um, one of his best films or his first like great films because. Um, it takes away the cynicism that you can see in bad girls, which I prefer bad girls, but um, I think it's worth considering this. Um, he, it, it like strips away that, that, that uh, cynicism and sort of like opens himself up to these people, these like monogamous bourgeois people and allows them to be people that we can care about in a new way. 
which um, I thought was interesting at, at the very least. And also, like, kind of like going back to what I was saying. So the the end is one of the like the husband being like pulled away from his wife, um, and it's this zoo or it's this pullback zoom forward that you know the that Hitchcock used and and Spielberg used in Jaws years mm-hmm. after this, but um, and it is this. This moment that, like, again, just like ceremony has this weird, like, ambiguous ending. Um, and, um, and the butcher also has this, like, weird psychological ending where just things, like, all of a sudden, like, something shifts and, um, and it just feels like magic. This is like, I heard people describe it as, like, you know, this is that, that's like him reaching towards her finally. And, um, and also more convincingly, like, heard it uh, or read it written about as like balance is being restored. Like he's being kind of like they're, they're being, they're being pulled together even as, as he's being like actively pulled away from her. Cause like I said earlier, like he finally did like do something, I guess, or um, is showing like passion or care for her. And, but mm-hmm. not only does it look interesting, but it's just fascinating because, you know, usually in, in these types of movies uh, we're used to just like, the relationship once you know once the cheating has happened but then also like once something dramatic has happened to like make sure that doesn't happen again it's just like like forever ruptured and to see that being uh to see the opposite happen where it's like oh actually this can like emotionally draw people back together is is uh fascinating yeah uh before we move on i i just want to say too that uh, you know, it's, it's kind of fun that when he confronts the, the lover at his apartment, he's, he's pretty, you know, cut and dry with things and, and doesn't seem to emotionally engage because I mean, his wife is basically treating this affair. Like it's just a, an errand she runs every other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like his breaking point is when he sees mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. that has like, an actual connection to their relationship and something that has like emotional resonance with him. It, it brings it into the personal realm and that's his breaking point. And you would think, Oh, well, you know, is it a watch? Is it a, like what, what <laughs> gift could she possibly give to her lover that would set this guy off? Because he says, no, this is an important aspect. This is deeply personal and, and just so important to our relationship. And the answer is, a gigantic mm-hmm. novelty Zippo, which I, yeah. <laughs> I fucking love it. And Chabral is so good at this because, you know, his, his people always say, oh, his characters are cold and uh, his movies are so fucking serious. But no, he always has these little moments where you get a little bit of a chuckle in. <laughs> well, you, and like in a more like mean spirited director, you know, like we had spoken about Haneke last episode, <laughs> like this movie would end with like him uh, fucking busting out that novelty lighter to light a cigarette just to like throw in her face that he yeah. had killed the man or something like it's funny somebody somebody asked uh Chabral about why he had a lighter in this and um a lighter in the butcher um because they're like back to back and uh uh and they're both they both play such an in- integral roles and he was like, yeah, I didn't realize that at first. And then um, he's like, I, I found out or like I asked uh, like a psychologist or something like that. And they were like, oh, well, the um, the lighter is a symbol of warmth. Um, 
and like domestic warmth. And he was like, that makes perfect sense because in this, that's exactly what it, it, it symbolizes. It's like this warmth that is about their relationship and all of a sudden it's displaced. And uh, the same thing in the butcher where this, this woman is trying to reach out in a way to this man in the only way that she really can uh, intimately. And then that is also, you know, misplaced. Well, uh, well, I think we, if we do, uh, and I don't know why we keep saying if we're going to keep on with the series, I'm sure, uh, yeah. probably much the same way we're doing it now we'll just we'll bring it back every uh, couple months here and uh but now we, this podcast we, only covers cynthia rothrock and <laughs> now that's all we do yeah yeah the yin uh, and the yang of cinema <laughs> we we probably ought to get to the rest of these uh helene movies right because <laughs> there's like uh it's like four films i believe that all star uh uh, Stephanie, uh, right, right, right. Um, yeah, Stephanie Audran as this as a character named Helene. Like I think they're all straight in a row too, and we've we've now done two of them, maybe three. Yeah, we'll probably definitely do uh, the breach or La Rupture. Yeah, it's uh, the breach and uh, this man must die. Which is oh yes, I, quite excellent. Episode. Yes, I'm I'm very much looking forward to watching that. Um, I, I've heard that's great. Um, yeah, and then uh, maybe maybe uh, maybe we we can do torment from from ninety four. Bring bring back the same formula. Well, we also probably we got to get into his uh, dark period at some point too. Why do people hate his eighties work? It's true. Yeah, it's probably yeah. great based on what I'm That's... seeing. Uh, you know, I'm going to guess he didn't just forget how to make movies <laughs> for a decade. <laughs> Yeah, would he just make bangers for 20 straight years? And then he's like, ah, I'm terrible now. <laughs> and then came back and made bangers for another 15 years. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I watched uh, the make. latest one I've seen so far is 2004's The Bridesmaid, which is uh, quite good as well and um, strange. And it gets into that, like, early digital looks like total shit, like, uh, in, a, in a really kind of fun way that you, like, he clearly doesn't care. You know, he's just like, well, if this is the way I can finance my movies, I'm going to make it, and it's going to be the same exact mm -hmm. uh, type of movie that, that that I've been making for for decades. Oh, to pivot backwards slightly, one thing we did not mention about uh, Les Bichets is well, a we we did look it up. It, it does the more literal translation is is uh, the does or the deer, uh, which is uh, kind of a running thematic element uh, applied to yes. Wise character in particular, but. I, I feel we'd be remiss not to mention this sort of like hunter prey dynamic at play uh, early in the film. Yeah, with, with the two, well, the the house she's staying at after being kind of directly correlated with this innocent deer is is just laced with all. These There's so much going on. Mounted antlers. I mean, like the scene, the ending of that that film is great, but also which we didn't talk about and we don't need to, but uh, but also like. The moment where Y tries to turn herself into the predator is also just like, just just great cinema. Yeah, mm. it's fantastic yeah. stuff. Yeah, uh, well, I I feel like we should talk a little bit more about Nightcap because we've only really alluded to it, but uh, this is this is kind of the oddball of the group. It 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 fits into Chabral's <laughs> various fixations, I think, but. Uh, Maybe maybe not as strong as an outing as the other two, although I, I still 
loved it. Absolutely loved it. And uh, I, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes you take roofies to go to bed at night and your lover is trying to poison you with melted chocolate. So uh, just, just a tale as old as time, right? Well, I think you may have misinterpreted. She's poisoning other people in his life to kill him off, essentially. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I like. I just uh, like control. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of control happening here. Um, I like that the uh, the husband, uh, uh, who's played by Jacques Dutronc, uh, looks exactly well, not exactly, but quite similar to Roman Polanski and his character's name. Oh my god! His character's name, especially is Andre Polanski. <laughs> <laughs> it was driving me nuts because if if you look at even if you if you go on like IMDb or Letterboxd or whatever and you look up Nightcap uh, or Merci pour le chocolat, uh, it, there's the 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 cover that they use the poster which is fucking awful. Uh, but you just see him in the corner, you're like, what is Roman Polanski doing? He's just like <laughs> popping his head out of the left hand <laughs> corner, and then you get into it, and then you start watching it. And you're like, why is this guy's name like Polanski? What the fuck is going on? I didn't even key in on this. All I all I thought to myself was, boy, that guy looks like a fucking ghoul. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just well, it, it drove me nuts because I, I think for the first like 15, 20 minutes of the movie, I couldn't properly focus because I was just like, why why does this why is he Andre Polanski? Why does he look like Roman Polanski? What is going on? Like what does this mean? I just fixated on it completely, which is stupid. Don't do yeah. that. But well what did what um, did you guys it seems like more of like Claude Chabral just fucking around yeah. and messing with me more than what, anything. What else. did you guys think about this as like sort of like a, a different register? It's a hard one to get a handle on. I liked it a lot, but I I think much like the last the uh, the what's it called celebration? No, that's ceremony. Right. Ceremony. Uh yeah, much like that. These are like I, I it's just dense stuff like super goddamn dense. It's stuff. dense, like, but it's also he's so good at storytelling that you're just like you're on the ropes for the entire thing, like no problem. Oh, yeah, I was mm-hmm. engaged with where it was headed the entire time. Like it it in the way that Chabral seems quite masterful at it, it feels like you're watching a genre movie half the time because you're like, oh, what's this is a grand mystery. How's this going to unravel? And it's basically by the end, you're like, well, he wasn't interested in that at all. And uh, you're not going to get any resolution on any of these mysteries. Nope. But <laughs> and, and Another great example of him taking something so sim- simple that's been done in cinema a million times over. It's just like, oh... Uh, the the wife is poisoning her husband, oh, uh, or poisoning the people in his life to you know control him and doing this and doing that and and it's all these things like all of these cliches in cinema that are presented to you. But then Claude Chabrol himself, he's not interested in any of those things. It's it's all the other stuff going on in the background that he's he's more interested mm-hmm. in. Yeah, and he does that time and again where I you know I don't know I guess the Hitchcock stuff sometimes makes sense, but it's he's he's more interested in in the construction of these classic suspense and thriller uh stories and ideas than he is with the the stories themselves and yeah it's he, like he uses he, I feel those, like he's a better he those writer as he gets like, older yeah he uses those tropes to explore character rather than plot i would say you know like it's, yeah it's interesting you don't see that sort of melding of, of techniques very often yeah i also love like one thing he's great at, and we've talked about, uh, is setting. And this movie takes place, like, ma- like majority of it is in uh, Hooper and, and 
Polanski's uh, house and they're quite, you know, well off and he's, he's a, he's a concert pianist. And, um, it's a, a again, this, this, uh, dichotomy or, or this like di- dialectic of like this younger woman and the older woman and the younger woman is coming in to like, you know, learn piano from him. Um, but the majority of it is just like her coming back to this big house and, uh, it's such a rich setting the way he, he, uh, I don't know. Uses it as like a, a place that that feels uncomfortable. Well, see, I feel like we're now we're missing what the mystery of this movie is. Because I mean, I guess you could say it's about how his second wife died, but that's not really what he's leading you along with in this movie. He's leading you along with the the uh, the switch children thing. You know, like oh, what's the resolution of this? Like, oh yeah, why, yeah, is she his daughter? You know, and. That is just like, fuck you, you'll never know. <laughs> oh, right, because there's like, yeah, 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 because she's not the real, uh, yeah, it's, there, there's yeah, a Yeah, the two, are, she was switched, at, potentially switched at birth. That's right, the, yeah, it's so, Polanski's which, and, son. and again, <laughs> so all of this sounds like just, you know, salacious genre cinema tropes sounds that like are just being boy. thrown in your face. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, no, it's, it's not that at all and and it's just so funny that yeah you're presented with this in the beginning it's just like oh the story of when you were almost switched at birth and blah 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 and all this stuff and did is it really true and and none of it matters ultimately like it's not what claude chabral is interested in and it's i don't know it's just fun for a movie that's this dark and dense it it is kind of amusing how playful he is it is and 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 also like is. You can't, I mean, I feel like we kind of just like, it's taken for granted because everybody knows she's like one of the best actors in the world, but like to watch her just like connive and just like, she holds the entire movie like in just like her, her like blank face or like coldness. And um, it, it, I mean, you just can't ask for like a better time at the movies than that is, is like watching a movie that Hooper holds down that is like actually directed well and unlike, you know, um, what was that that film greta um that was like oh god that was you know okay whatever uh but like um wasn't that done by the the one like scottish or irish guy who who's the guy who did um that was directed by neil jordan yeah, neil jordan um you know he's not like you know spring chicken or anything like that but he's not exactly exciting um but like no oh, wow but but this this, you know, a Chabral movie where, like, Huppert is, like, doing all these machinations and, like, she really does hold the center of, like, potential chaos. And uh, it's just exciting stuff. Now, Jack's not going to feel too good about this Irish slander. But, you know. <laughs> is he Scottish? <laughs> yeah. No, he's, he's Irish. He's born in Ireland. Okay. Well, same thing, right? Yeah. Same thing, yeah. Huh. Scotland, Ireland, and Boston, all the same place. <laughs> and England, and England, they're and all. That's yeah, it too. yeah. Anything all, in the UK, and Boston. <laughs> One place. And Ireland. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah, and, and as we said before, the Irish people love when you conflate Ireland with Northern Ireland. They get really excited about that, so. <laughs> I'm not conflating our, them, I, I, they're the same thing, you know. <laughs> Um, yeah, though, any, this movie, yeah, it's, it's a, it's not like an easy one to recommend. It's not like run out and see it because it is, it's tough to access. Like 
it keeps you at a distance and uh but it is consistently compelling it's just once you get to the end and you if you expect certain things a certain satisfaction that you might enter a narrative expecting especially a narrative that is set up in such a a sort of genre forward thriller fashion almost where it is it does feel like a mystery movie and it's not it's not so if you're expecting satisfaction uh even the satisfaction of like really getting a handle on who pairs characters motivation like if you're like well why is she doing this like oh i want a movie explanation of it's because my father (laughs) died in the war or something no you will get nothing it's just she's fucking complicated (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's fun watching these late period Chirol movies too because especially compared to other French New Wave directors and what they were doing at the time and, and what their late career work looks like and what his looks like and how, you know, he sort of doubled down on his abilities as, as a, a screenwriter and a storyteller and, you know, really got into the interior lives of these characters more and more and more and just dug deeper into that. Uh, whereas Godard. Jean-Luc Godard <laughs> is, is just like, what if I just blow up the concept of cinema as you know it? And here it's like, Chabral is almost like, no, it's good. Uh, it works. Yeah. He's like, I, I like, I like it. I like it. And in fact, he's sort of relying on you as an audience to be familiar with all of these things, because that's how he plays with your expectations. You know, is is your knowledge of of genre and how these things tend to you know tend to go, and then he toys with that, and you know Godard's just yeah. Like, no, I'm gonna. It's kind of you know why, why I might be a little more <laughs> like slightly lesser on this one is is one little thing. It's it's almost like he couldn't figure out the reveal. Of, I, like, I I agree. Yeah, it's like she's she's washing out a tea set, and the husband comes in. And it's like, why are you washing those cups? You washed those cups when my wife died. I'm like. What? <laughs> that seems like not an acceptable <laughs> revelation right there. Yeah. Yeah, it, it it's uh like the the last like 10 minutes of this movie are not are not are not like where the magic happened. Um it's, it's the the previous like 80 90 minutes, but but yeah, it, it's funny he was asked about this like this is, you know, in sometime in the 70s, something about like uh especially since he's part of the new wave. He's saying something about like drawing a a, rec- uh, a sort of a parallel between like painting and like once they figured out or once like somebody did something that was new in painting, it was just like, oh, now we can't do the old way anyway. Like now it's about new ways of painting. And and I think the question from memory was like about like, you know, the, the new wave and stuff and being like, now has like film changed and now we're like trying to film a new way. And he was just kind of like, no, like film's pretty young and we're still trying to figure it out. Um, we can't find a new way yet. And that, that speaks to like what you're saying, Steve, of just like him, like being like, yeah, this way still works mm-hmm. like uh, 40 years later. Yep. Oh, for sure. For sure. All right, boys. Well, we're, uh, we're about to hit time. So uh, any, any other Comments or thoughts uh, for the Shabral heads out there? Look forward to the next episode of the Shabral, not the next episode of the Outback cast, which I probably won't be on. Uh, so you don't have, you can skip that, <laughs> but it, uh, you can look forward to October. 
That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. October's going to be good. We're we gonna, got we big some plans. We might be talking about famous pianist Andre Polonsky. <laughs> 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 something to look forward to. <laughs> All right, Sean, what are you putting over this week? Um, you know, you know what? I've watched a lot of good shit recently because I've been trying to watch 70s stuff. And um, one that I, I think has really stuck out, like even though I've watched a bunch of other good stuff, is the parallax view so not exactly an obscure film but uh uh alan pacula pacula um you know pelican brief fame um one of his uh part of his 70s conspiracy trilogy with uh uh all the president's men and um clute but um yeah it's got uh what's his name dick tracy um as uh this guy trying Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty trying to trying to figure out this. I, I think I think you mean Bullworth. <laughs> yes, <Is that> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, trying to figure out this uh, this assassination attempt, possible, possibly uh, this like conspiracy, this company, all this stuff. I mean, it's clearly like in the uh, aftermath of the JFK shooting, and um, you know, I mean, still like a good what like eleven or so years after, but. Um, uh, it, it's uh, shot by Gordon Willis, and it's just like a really terrific example of um, how '70s films were just so often like the best ones, just driven by great visual storytelling. Um, obviously, they had beautiful stars in them as well, but um, it, it's just a gorgeous movie, and also like has one of those typical 70s endings where it's it's just kind of like there's no way out kind of thing um so it's really satisfying on that front nice myros what are you putting over this week that sounds like it'd be a good pairing with like blowout or something exactly yeah um yeah um i am you know just uh, i'm about to be crushed by film school so i'm I'm not watching much but so i'm gonna put over Something Optimism Vaccine has entirely abandoned covering at this point for, for very valid reasons, uh, because it usually sucks. Uh, and that is professional wrestling. Um, I don't know. This, I, 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 this whole AEW business has not gotten me back on board. I'm, I'm not ever going to get back on board, I don't think. But uh, I do like to check in on it from time to time. And, and I just, I'm going to dedicate my put over to one uh, CM Punk who... Uh, Maybe, maybe burning down the company he's currently working for, or maybe he's just fucking playing us all. And, uh, I don't know. And that is beautiful. And very few people could ever pull off such a, uh, <laughs> uh, thing, you know, keep me guessing. And, uh, yeah. Also put on one hell of a goddamn wrestling match. Uh, so yeah, my put over time this week is, is, is headed over to one CM Punk. I mean that's that's fair. That's good stuff. I think I'm gonna uh, say I, parallax view might be your better bet. Yeah, uh, you know, I, it, it kind of depends. But well, yeah, parallax I mean, the, the, we have listeners who w- listen to our wrestling show, Sean. People <laughs> like that stuff sometimes. I mean, they probably are not the listeners who are clicking on the Claude Chabrol episode, but uh, you know. Yeah. I, now, Sean, you know, like one of the core tenets of Optimism Vaccine is reverie for for beefcakes. We love a good beefcake here, so. Pro wrestling definitely falls under that 
Anyways, uh, what am I putting over this week? Great question. I have been watching a lot of stuff and none of it's very fucking good. <laughs> Netflix told me, oh, I've got a new show. It's called uh, The Devil in Ohio and you should watch it. And I said, all right, Netflix, I'll give it a I'll kick the tires on this. Maybe we're getting into spooky season. Why not? You got a good horror series on here. Don't fucking watch this show. Everything. I, I don't. How do I get sucked into this time and time again? Oh, Netflix has got a new show. You got to watch the new Netflix show. Got to watch it. This one, it's right up here. No, everything is just fucking Stranger Things again and again and again. It's horrible. Don't watch this shit. Don't watch the fucking devil in Ohio. Uh, it's just teeny bopper dog shit. It's the fucking worst. And uh, every single show on Netflix looks the same. And it is depressing. Very well, depressing. You can go for that uh, that other guy from Jack's Neck of the Woods, right? Uh, Flanagan. Yeah, that guy. He he makes decent stuff on Netflix. That's about it. If you want a horror wow. show on Netflix, then make sure it's directed by that Flanagan fellow. And, yeah. Uh, which means it probably has the word haunting in the title. <laughs> <laughs> Oculus. Otherwise, everything looks like dog shit. Uh, it, it's weird, too, because it doesn't even... It, it, like, Netflix has been able to redefine what dog shit is for me, because usually it's like oh it looks like cheap or chintzy or whatever it's like no it looks very expensive in the least compelling way possible uh it's it's horrific so don't watch anything fucking cancel your subscription but ah, hey mike flanagan <laughs> i thought he was i thought he was like literally a uk guy but you know he was he's born in salem massachusetts which by optimism vaccine tenets is close enough to ireland <laughs> yeah massachusetts ireland yeah. same thing uh, but okay. So what, what, if I haven't been able to watch anything good, uh, I did play something good. I played stray. It's a game about a cat. You get to be a cat. There's a button on your controller that is dedicated to meowing. So don't watch Netflix, play cat games and your life will be better. That's pretty much all I have to say. So, uh, with that, if you enjoyed the show today, there is a link in the description that'll take you to our Patreon page where you, yes, you can give us money. And, and why would you give us money? Well, for a variety of reasons. Uh, maybe you want Adam Myros to own a firearm, and if we can <laughs> collect enough money, then we're going to make that dream come true. What kind of gun, you say? Well, he wants the 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 handgun from the Joker, but really from we're the not Joker? Sure. No, from 1989 Batman. I don't know what sort from of handguns are in that fucking Todd Phillips Joker movie. <laughs> he wants the Todd Phillips Joker gun. Yes. And uh, sure. a matching burgundy suit. Uh, or, you know, I, I think we should get him a vintage blunderbuss. Uh, Thanksgiving's right around the corner, and I think it'd be a fun little little pilgrim costume with a, a functioning blunderbuss for Adam Myro. So all these dreams can come true, and you can help make the dream come true. All you gotta do is give us money, and if you donate at any level, I will send you a movie from my personal collection. What are you gonna get? You don't know. Could it, Sean, you think it could be a Blu-ray? It could be a box set? What, what else could it be? Laserdisc. Laser disc, Sean. It could be a fucking laser disc. You, you think I don't got laser disc lying around, but I'm ready to just put it, it into the mail? I, I will do that. I've done it before. I'll do it again. Ask Jack Easton. He had laser disc show up at his house unannounced. Uh, on top of that, if you donate at a higher level, you can get extra perks. So donate at the $5 level. You get your name right out on the show and you get to vote for uh, future episodes. We just had a Patreon episode couple weeks ago you guys were like boy we really want to see italian shark movies and we said okay let's let's do that uh myros who are our five dollar patrons right now well five dollar and up we have uh yeah. kofags 
uh, Kropotkin, CWW, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. Uh, by the way, uh, Kofax, Kropotkin, we're going to have to get in touch with them uh, as to, uh, they, they get to tell us what the fuck to do with an episode here. So uh, mm-hmm. we got to make that happen. Expect exciting, a message if you're going to say uh, Chabral Volume 3. Well, that would be uh, that would be a waste of a, a waste of an edict, you know. That's all I have to say because that's going to happen anyway. Maybe, maybe they're going to say Shabral Volume Six, and we have to do all the ones before. Okay, that. then we have to do everything. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's again. There's worse things. Yeah, Sean. No, you're, you're telling me. What? Yeah. Uh, oh boy, we sure don't want to do six podcasts on Claude Chabral, who is not good, and we don't like him at all. Yeah. Okay. I, there see, we go. I can't believe. Yeah, the last time we got a twenty-five dollar donation means we have to watch that movie where Alec Baldwin like killed someone. <laughs> it's better than um, God. What was that Whoopi Goldberg uh, buddy comedy? Which one? <laughs> we watched them all. The fucking one with uh. uh you know the famous brother from K nine. Oh, Jim oh, Belushi. Yeah. Uh, Ed, <laughs> what the hell is that movie called? Eddie. Ed, no, no, that's not Ed correct. TV. Ed, it, it is like you Ed, had the Eddie. fucking Homer and Eddie. Homer and Eddie. Homer and Eddie. Homer and Eddie. <laughs> it should have been Eddie, Homer, and Eddie, like Ed and Eddie. But um, <laughs> I can't believe I wasn't on the the uh, the. Italian Jaws, uh, even though I have the Blu-ray of Cruel Jaws, which I have it's, not I, watched. Have you watched Cruel Jaws no, yet? Ha- you haven't watched no, it? No, but I have. I had already seen the Joe D'Amato uh, uh, Italian Jaws movie, which I thought. Well, good news oh, for yeah. you. You've seen like you've seen like thirty-three percent of Cruel Jaws. Oh, for real? <laughs> God, yeah, Cruel no, Jaws. it's actually kind of fun. Because, yeah, it is. A, uh, it's like a fucking clip show, man. He, it's like. Uh, they spent a day shooting uh, some really shitty, uh, bad oh, beach it's, footage. It's Bruno Matai, right? Yes, and yeah, then old yeah. Bruno just like took every B movie, uh, B shark movie from the last like decade and cobbled it all together around his like half hour of footage. That showed him. Well, I, I mean, so. all the Italian B movies, but also all of the Jaws movies. He just stole footage wholesale. Didn't yeah, give a shit. Yeah, very it's true. Pretty, it's pretty impressive. It's like Godfrey Ho yet, of Jaws. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. Kind of. At least Godfrey had had enough class to be like, well, I made four movies. What if I chop them up into a fifth? Where <laughs> Bruno's more like, hey, you made some stuff. I'm gonna I'm gonna steal it. Uh, also, <laughs> he applies. Uh, he also he applies yeah. the world's worst uh, day for night uh, coloration to like <laughs> half of his half hour footage. Incredible stuff. Incredible stuff. But the, I I think the real revelation there is. Of the three movies we watched, Cruel Jaws was 100% the best, and it's mostly footage from Deep Blood, so it's like, what if you take a movie like Deep Blood, which is a 2 out of 5 if you're being generous, and you turn it to a solid 5 out of 5, <laughs> and that's Cruel Jaws. Just incredible shit. So, right. yeah, Sean, you should watch Cruel Jaws. Maybe you, I will this week. You're still, you're still stuck on the couch. Pop that bad boy in. It's a good time. Or just give our episode a listen. Yeah. Uh, boost the metrics, you know? <laughs> yeah, boost the metrics, baby. All right. Well, hey, you know, if, if you got any uh, questions, death threats, marriage proposals, uh, you know, if if you need to tell us what you want for your episode request, email us, optimismvaccine at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us at optimismvaccine, Adam Myro standing by, smashing that refresh on the inbox so that he can respond to you. It's what he lives for. And, 
Uh, other than that, I, I think that's pretty much everything. So uh, we'll see you next week.